all we can really do wrong is, is mess this whole thing up by uh, trying to grow too fast. Or Last year, Spotted Duck was ranked the best ice cream in the nation. Well, firstly, how did that feel? My honest answer is it was horrible. 60% more business, growth comes problems. And no, it actually made me want to slow down even more. Wow. Uh, for three months, I had no life. Did you ever feel like we didn't deserve this or I shouldn't be where I am right now? Did you ever have a, a feeling of imposter syndrome? Yeah, all the time. I yeah. mean, I question sometimes whether I'm the guy to do it. You know, a check for $30,000 and he says, how are you going to get it home? And I said, I'm going to drive it. And he said, do you know how to drive a stick? And I said, no. Stalled out in the Easy Pass booth, <laughs> getting off the, the highway. And, and by the grace of God, we made it back. Catch up someday. Um, but yeah, Sam, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Taking time out of your schedule. Um, so I, I'm going to give the people a bit of background in a formal intro later. But I'm wondering if you could... Just give us a give us a rundown. Who's Sam? Where do you come from? Who are you? I am born and raised on Long Island and grew up there my whole life. Ended up at HWS uh, starting in 2013. Okay. I uh, was a sociology major, entrepreneurial studies minor. Uh, did the pitch twice. Once as a sophomore, lost in the finals, won it as a senior. Uh, did a couple of broad trips here, did a semester in Rome and a J term in Panama, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And since graduating, I was uh, running Pizza Posto, which was a wood fire pizza food truck, which was what I pitched uh, in my senior year. And then, let's see now, three years ago, myself and a partner purchased uh, the Spotted Duck ice cream shop in Penyan, and so for one season I ran Spotted Duck and Pizza Posto. After doing that for one season, it was very clear that I could not handle both, and so I sold the pizza truck, but kept the brand and the recipes, and now I kind of have that on the back burner, and I just focus on, on ice cream. Amazing. So you mentioned, as a sophomore, you were in the pitch competition. So for some background, the pitch competition at Hobart William Smith is like a Shark Tank-style um, business competition where every year we have four finalists um, who are students on campus that develop their own business ideas, pitch to a panel of judges and a live crowd, um, and the winner gets $10,000 towards their idea. We are in the 13th or 14th year, I yeah. think, is this, yeah. this semester we'll be coming up on that. Um, and you were involved twice. So first with Behave in 2015. And yes. as you said, you became runner-up that year. Uh, 2017 with Pizza Posto as the winner. So I'm wondering, firstly, Behave. Where where did that come from? What was it? Give us a little rundown of the business. Obviously, it doesn't exist anymore. What was the yeah. driving factors behind not actual putting it into production? Truly, what, what, uh, what started... Uh, my partner's name at the time was Gloria. Her mm -hmm. and I were friends. We were in, uh, at the time, Amy Forbes' Intro to Entrepreneurship class, which there wasn't really an entrepreneurial studies minor then, but they had that class. So we had to create a business. You had to partner up, create a business plan, right. and you had to do like a little pitch at the end of the year in class. And it just coincided that when you did your, when you were finished with the business plan, was when Amy at the Centennial Center also was looking for submissions for the pitch, and that was not an accident. So Gloria had done this honey project in high school, so she had all this material, and she told me that. So 
we thought, okay, this will be good. We've, she's already done a lot of work on the project and we'll try to put our own spin on it. So we submitted the business plan to the pitch. We became semifinalists. We eventually made it to being finalists and essentially behave was going to be <laughs> a single source honey business, which means most uh, honey you buy at the store says wildflower honey, which sounds really nice, but it basically just means that the bees pollinated all different flowers. So you can also have uh, honey where the bee only pollinates, say, lavender flowers. So it's only lavender honey or, uh, you know, different flowers. So we were going to have this single source honey and we were going to open a cafe honey tasting bar in Nashville, Tennessee, because it seemed like the right market. Uh, we pitched it and the like our pitch was strong. The Q&A was so bad. Uh, like our, the one of the judges asked uh, if if we knew anything about the honey market. And all I could say was it's a billion dollar market. That's all I had. Like I literally said, it's a billion dollar market. Hard pause. All right auditorium. And he uh, just he was like, that's it. And I said, uh, China's the largest honey producer in the world. That's it. So learned a lot of lessons from that pitch, <laughs> yeah. uh, which helped me later on when I was back in in 2017. Totally. So it seems like Behave was kind of the intro for you, at least with a physical experiment, a physical project um, of working with more locally sourced produce and products is that where your inspiration for doing that came from i mean obviously then you went on to do pizza postal you done you won the one the 10 grand sorry for um the pitch competition in 2017 mm -hmm. with it and pizza postal was a pizza truck focused on locally sourced ingredients to make high quality um wood oven pizzas right stone oven pizzas so is that where the inspiration for ultimately Pizza Postal came from or at least where it started? Yeah, I mean, I think the Behave uh, and the the iteration that we came up with for it uh, being a cafe kind of came yeah. out of Gloria and I's love for food, which I've always had. Uh, and the we weren't going to do... Behave wasn't going to be like a Finger Lakes locally sourced business. Um, the, the local sourcing kind of came in, in two ways. I started to get off campus a okay. bit as I got older and I realized that there was like Miranda cheese was 10 or 15 minutes away and I could taste 12 cheeses for $3 and, mm -hmm. and they were incredible and all made right in our backyard, uh, things like that. And then I went to Italy and was able to do an independent study on the sociology of pizza and essentially what I learned was that pizza reflects the culture of the society within which it's served mm -hmm. so Italy is the pinnacle of food right all they do is use really fresh locally sourced ingredients and they don't mess with them much and they put them on the plate and they're delicious because they're so fresh and they're so uh you know they're in season which mm -hmm. is really important so when I came back here I looked around and said, hey, we have local sausage, local pepperoni, every vegetable, mushroom, cheese, uh, and no one's putting it on pizza. So really kind of my study abroad trip to Italy uh, really highlighted the importance of locally sourced uh, and just how 
vital that is to having really good flavors. And when I came back here, it was so clear we could do that. No one was doing it. So that was my business opportunity. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I do want to talk a little bit more about Pizza Postal because I remember when we first met, um, it was one of the first conversations we had. At the time, I was working on my own startup. I was raising some capital um, and I was really thinking about how to strategically grow the business. And I was asking you about your process with Pizza Postal and you described it uh, through a conversation with your father. Tell me that he always refers to your first two or three years with Pizza Postal being your MBA. Um, you were making no more than like $1,000, I think it was, in those years. You were broke. Yeah. You were just bootstrapping the company. Um, I also done some research, and it seems like, I guess, your MVP, minimal, minimum viable product, was a portable oven. You were taking to parties, and, and you were selling the pizza there. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if you can talk to us a little bit more about those very early days um, of the MBA period where you were just learning, iterating, and bootstrapping the business. Yeah. Do you mean the early days, like, making pizzas in that little oven? Yeah, making pizzas, like, from the day you were making pizzas in that oven, went on to win the 10 grand in the pitch and thereafter. Yeah. I mean, I, so I bought this tiny terracotta oven that yeah. I had to, like, saw wood into tiny, tiny pieces right. just to make a fire in it. And I I lived in an off-campus house that was at the time called Oz. I'm not sure if it still is. Uh, it is. Yeah. And um, <laughs> great house. And I would make pizza dough very poorly, and then I would fire this thing up, and all the buddies that I lived with and all my friends would come over because they wanted free pizza, really. Um, and I definitely learned a little bit about how to cook a pizza in a wood fire oven. It was horribly designed. It was way too small uh, and really difficult to keep the heat in there. Uh, but it, like you said, it was my minimum, it was my minimum viable product, and. Uh, when I pitched to the pitch selection committee, I was able to bring that and make pizza for everyone so I could show them like, mm -hmm. hey, I can, I can already do this. Uh, not nearly to the caliber that I was able to do it once I had the truck and a few years of experience, but that was, you know, I had to start somewhere and that oven was maybe $250, so it wasn't a huge investment. Um, fast forward, I end up with this pizza truck Truly, I still don't know how to make pizza in, in my mind. Uh, like I know the basics, I know where I'm gonna get my cheese, my sauce, all that. The first batch of dough that I ever made with my Hobart mixer, which is ironic because Hobart makes like the best commercial restaurant equipment. Mm -hmm. um, first batch I ever made was, it didn't turn out right. I was really confused. A local chef also named Sam, uh, I was friends with her because I worked at Kindred Fair when I was in college and she was the head chef. I had her come over and see what might be going wrong. And first thing she did was go straight to the bag of flour. And she said, uh, dummy, like this is expired pasta flour and you're trying to make pizza with it. So that was where I started, uh, which, you know, people in business always say the hardest thing is just getting started. But uh, you know, if you wait till you have all the answers, you're probably never going to do it or it's going to take you forever to actually take the leap. So um, taking that leap was so important. And even though in the beginning I barely knew how to make pizza, I was determined to figure it out. And then over the years, uh, I got better at making dough, learned, I mean, it's four ingredients, but there are a million different factors that go into that. Uh, so I got better at that. I got more confident using the oven on the pizza truck. Like in the first year, we... Like, I was literally thought there was a hole in the back of the oven. We didn't have enough heat. We just weren't 
putting enough wood in there, mm. things like that, uh, that just got easier over the years. And then by year three, four, we had a really smooth system of operating and uh, we were cranking out awesome pizzas, like with pretty good efficiency. Amazing. You went on and um, so firstly, I'd actually like to tell the story of the Pizza Postal truck. This is a story I love uh, mentioning Jack Harris, who we are planning to have on the podcast soon. Um, how did you get the truck? How did that come to be? And tell us the story about actually getting that yeah, physically back. It's kind of a long story because the that that second abroad trip that I that Jack Harris also led uh, three weeks to Panama. Uh, someone from uh, RPI came to evaluate our abroad program there to see if they wanted to do something similar. I had just gotten back from my mm-hmm. three months in Rome, also with Jack. So we were talking about pizza, me and this guy, and he just mentioned like we're on a hike on a mountain in panama and he's like yeah i know this guy who has a wood fire pizza truck you should uh totally reach out to him when you get back i didn't reach out uh because i thought okay i don't i don't need a food truck uh then i realized maybe i do i reached out and he said uh yeah i'm actually selling the truck for 50 grand mm-hmm. fast forward a few years uh i'm back to the brick and mortar idea then I realized again, okay, I shouldn't go brick and mortar. I should go food truck. I'm kicking myself because it's really hard to find trucks with custom built wood fire ovens in the back. And if you don't find one, they're really expensive to have them built. So I reached back out to the guy. I didn't hear anything. I told Jack, hey, uh, I don't know what to do. This guy, he, he's not getting back to me and I can't find any trucks. And he said, well, you haven't heard back from him, so keep trying. Yeah, so I tried again. And he said, uh, actually, yeah, I still have the truck and now it's $30,000. So saved 20 grand there, which was great. Uh, got the financing for it, went and looked at the truck a few times, made pizza with the guy, felt good about it. And I'm giving him the check for $30,000. And he says, how are you gonna get it home? And I said, I'm gonna drive it. And he said, do you know how to drive a stick? And I said, no. Uh, I didn't even realize that it was a, a manual transmission, which I had never driven. And so, thank goodness, Jack Harris, when another buddy of mine, uh, Hobart grad, Josh Kessler, he, three of us went to Saratoga Springs, like three hours from here. Jack drove the truck about halfway home. The clutch was like 40 pounds, so that was a bit of a struggle. It it was a heavy box truck. You had to turn, you had to basically have the wheel at like three o'clock to drive straight. Uh, And so Jack lasted about half the trip, and then my buddy Josh, who had driven like his grandpa's car in the parking lot one time that was a stick drove the thing the rest of the way home we stalled out in the easy pass booth (laughs) getting off the the highway and and by the grace of god we made it back to geneva and parked that truck uh and so not only did i have to learn how to make pizza and i had so much fear going into all these events just for making pizza but i also had this other massive fear of like am i gonna crash this truck am i gonna stall out am i gonna get to an event and just embarrass myself trying to maneuver this thing uh so yeah a lot went into getting that truck here and the first couple of years was uh me learning how to drive a stick and get that thing up the hills and to all the events amazing i actually have a photograph um again i did do some research slash stalking before the interview um a photograph of you jack harris and your other friend just after getting the truck back Mm -hmm. to geneva so 
Um, so then you went on. Pizza Postal ultimately became quite successful. As you said, it's now went onto the back burner and you've transitioned more to the ice cream business, um, specifically um, the duck ice cream business yeah. um, with Spotted Duck. Can you tell us a bit about how this came to be? So I know this is a, it's a really interesting acquisition story mm-hmm. um, that you never really expected to happen and especially even after being faced with opportunity, never expected to be able to do it in the first place. So I'm curious about telling the people exactly how, how um, you acquired Spotted Duck. Mm-hmm. So when, when Pizza Posta was getting started, I had to find places to bring the truck mm-hmm. where there would be enough traffic to support us coming. And... Uh, Spotted Duck was on the much newer side then. It was uh, not very well known. And I stopped by there once or twice and realized that this was an incredible uh, product being Mm -hmm. made here. Uh, And I talked to the owners about bringing the pizza truck there. And they had been trying to find a food truck to have at their shop. But they wouldn't wouldn't settle for a truck that didn't have the same food values as them, which was everything made from scratch and everything that possibly can be locally sourced, Mm -hmm. locally sourced. So we matched up perfectly. It was very clear to them quickly that they sold more ice cream on nights that uh, the food truck was at the stand and we did well being there too. So we quickly made a a pretty good partnership. uh, And after the first season, the owners came to me and said, hey, eventually we would like to open a second Spotted Duck location and we would love to partner up with you and do a Spotted Duck Pizza Posto uh, brick and mortar. I was so honored. I was 24 years old at the time, barely had my feet wet in business. And I thought, okay, if I can attach my pizza, which I wasn't that confident in at the time to this incredible ice cream, we're good to go. So fast forward about two or three years, it's the pandemic. Uh, it's 2020 we're doing better than ever because people couldn't go to restaurants so the food truck was a great place to be Uh, and the spotted duck is all outdoor seating Uh, the only indoor space for customers is the bathroom so again great place for to be outside and socially distanced Uh, in about August of that year I thought I found a spot in downtown Geneva that could that could work for both of us and so I said hey are you guys still interested in doing the pizza ice cream shop and they said oh we didn't tell you we're moving to Tennessee I thought they were crazy uh, and uh, my next thought was I need to find the person who's going to buy this business because I need to keep this pizza ice cream relationship that night I was talking to my parents I said told them about uh, what was happening and I said I need to find the person that's going to buy this business and my dad said you need to buy this business and I said okay dad I have no money you have no money to give me so how's that going to happen and uh, I was talking to a, a family member who was willing to back me as an investor, and we actually made an offer. And I thank goodness every day that they uh, said no. <laughs> and they were they had a timeline of wanting to get out of the Finger Lakes, so they essentially put myself and my now business partner Oscar, uh, who were the only two interested parties in the business. They put us to, in touch and him and I got coffee one morning and 30 minutes later we were like, all right, let's do it. Um, essentially he helped finance the business and I was gonna be the one to run the day to day. And that's how it's been for the last four years. 
Amazing. And you, while you were telling that story there, when the first sort of the, the spotted duck, the spotted duck owners approached you for the first time to say we're going to do a partnership, you said I wasn't that confident in my product, right? I wasn't that confident in my pizza. And I think this is a major misconception that exists in business that the founder, the owner of the business has to be f- all in, two feet first and have this crazy belief that it's going to be the most successful product ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has the ability to scale to a crazy extent. seems like you didn't have that. Yet no. you've had quite a lot of success in business. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, breaking, I guess, that stigma within the business world of being un- a little bit not confident in your product and realizing that there was significant improvements you had to make, not only as a founder, but as a producer of the yeah. product you were selling um, and making it what it's become. I think it goes back to uh, what I said a little bit ago about not waiting until you have all the answers to get started. Uh, you've got to start somewhere and uh, you know, Richard Branson says the best way to start a business is to jump into the deep end, ask a lot of questions and listen, listen, listen. And so essentially my leap was buying that truck taking out loans and now I'm like all right I'm in the deep end I better figure this out uh so it really took probably three years for me to like if you ask anyone that worked for pizza posto I would literally eat the pizza starting probably year three and I would look at everyone and be like this is good pizza <laughs> like I was surprised myself um, we should up our prices like this. yeah we never did that which was silly but uh but I, I was even surprised myself at how good the pizza became over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, I mean, if you can open your business with an incredible product on day one, hats off to you. But generally, it's not the case. It's mm-hmm. uh, the people who are successful are the ones who keep at keep at uh, improving the product and uh, getting it to the place where they're happy and maybe even further than they ever thought it could be. Like in my case. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, just constantly striving to make a better product and understanding that in the beginning, it's Mm -hmm. probably not going to be perfect, but it's better to get started and learn all these lessons than it is to wait. Yeah, definitely. And it seems from all of your ventures, um, and I mean, we've been in contact for quite a while now, and so I've learned your approach to growth quite well. And I've found that your approach to growth is quite slow and that you take very slow strategic steps um, towards that growth and you don't rush anything during that process. And it's proven very successful for you. Um, On the opposite end, I found with my startup, right, we tried to do a significant amount of growth in a small period of time. Um, And ultimately my business failed, the first one, which was a great learning experience. But I'm curious about you kind of, again, talking a little bit more about your approach to to growth and, and strategy within your businesses. Why is it that you take such a slow approach? What is it that you do within that process to validate the steps you're taking are the correct ones before Mm. taking them? I think if you have a good product, growing too fast can only mess it up, Mm. right? So if, uh, like we always, my partner and I always joke with Spotted Duck, we have these incredible recipes, we have this incredible following. All we can really do wrong is is mess this whole thing up by... uh, trying to grow too fast or trying to uh, focus on maybe other products under the same strong brand name, which we could come out with a line of cookies or mm-hmm. we could do other things. And But but a lot of it comes back to um, the book Good to Great 
which we, which we all had to read in Jack's uh, sociology of business and management class. And, uh, you know, there's two lessons in there. One is stick to your flywheel, which is if you're good at one thing, just focus on that and be the best at that. I think uh, that's been really key to, to my success over the years. And then uh, with the slow growth, is there's a chapter called the 20 mile march and the story goes that uh, I think two explorers were each trying to be the first one to reach the North or the South Pole, whatever one it was. And one of them said, when the weather is good, we're gonna march 80 miles. And when the weather is bad, we're gonna march 10 miles or we're gonna hunker down that day. And the other explorer said, no matter what the weather is, whether it's good or bad, we're gonna march 20 miles uh, every single day. The guy who said he's gonna march 20 miles a day made it and the other guy died. Uh, so the lesson there is steady growth leads to huge growth, right? Mm -hmm. Over time. Uh, life is long. If you have a good product and you stay within your means, your business will probably uh, exist for a long time as well. But if you take a risk and say, you know, like right now, Spotted Duck is really popular in Rochester, really popular in Ithaca. If I was crazy, or some people would say, if I was just being smart business-wise, I would open up a Spotted Duck in Rochester and I would open up a Spotted Duck in Ithaca. Mm -hmm. I would be spread too thin. I would uh, be trying to figure out distribution to two different locations, managing teams across three different uh, cities. And while it could make the business a bunch of money and we could have a lot of customers there, it could uh, over we could overextend ourselves and blow the whole thing up. So. Mm -hmm. Um, it will be a while until we open up even one more location because I will be, I will need to be 100% sure that we can sustain it. Uh, we hope that we can just sustain that growth, right? Because mm -hmm. there are businesses that expanded big time when the Finger Lakes were doing really well in 2018 and 2019, they expanded to a bunch of different locations, COVID hits, things that happen that are unexpected and then boom, you're left really exposed and you had this great thing grow going you could have stayed small and uh enjoyed the benefits of that but people went for huge growth exposed themselves and they got caught totally and i think a good example of your strategy working really well for you is last year spotted duck was ranked the best ice cream in the nation and um, this small quaint creamery and upstate New York and it was ranked at such a high level um, and it is amazing ice cream so I recommend anyone to make the trip out and get it if you can um, but all of a sudden you had lines circling the shop right after this was announced after you got that ranking did that well, firstly how did that feel right like how did it feel to all of a sudden right being still really young buying this business you were never expecting to buy to all of a sudden being ranked the best ice cream and um, the nation while you were still making it on a stovetop, mind you. Yeah. Um, so firstly, how did that feel? And secondly, after the additional business that came with that, did it make you consider a, a more accelerated strategy to growth? Well, I'll answer the, the second question first, which is uh, no, it actually made me want to slow down even more. Wow. Uh, okay. We did 60% we did more business in 2023 than we did in 2022. And uh, that would be the equivalent of the guy marching 100 miles when it was good as opposed to 20 miles every day. So we obviously couldn't control that. And 
the growth that came from being voted number one in the country was uh, unexpected and very quick. Mm-hmm. So um, how did it feel? My honest answer is it was horrible. Wow. Uh, for me personally, like, uh, and you know, I go back and forth on on how to answer that question, right? Because everyone wants to hear, it was incredible and the business was just humming and we had lines around the building and it was amazing. But when you're actually in the trenches and you're scooping for eight hours straight and Mm -hmm. your staff and yourself can hardly find time to eat, let alone go to the bathroom, uh, it's not super fun. Uh, Like one one of the most enjoyable aspects of the business to me is talking to the customers, meeting all these people from all over the country who are visiting the Finger Lakes, learning about them, telling them more about the product. I didn't get to do any of that last summer because I was just uh, standing there scooping ice cream for eight or nine hours straight, which gets to your wrist after a little bit of time. Uh, So from the business side and from the growth perspective and from the trajectory of the business, it completely changed uh, our trajectory really like we were having very different conversations in November of 2023 than we were in November of 2022 mm-hmm. which is exciting uh, but you know with growth comes problems and uh, a lot of people say those are good problems but good problems are still problems uh, and so we had to solve a lot of uh, things internally like how to you know how to get our give number one we have to take care of our staff right so when there's a line around the building for eight and a half hours a day we had to actually start to close we had to make the decision to close from five to six just so that we could have a break uh, and everyone could get their uh, government mandated break not and eat uh, a square meal and use the restroom mm-hmm. and take some rest and we could reset the stand to be better prepared for the 6 to 8.30 rush. Um, so yeah, we, we had to do a lot of adjusting and it was uh, very difficult for me uh, personally. Like I basically for three months I had no life. I was barely above water mm-hmm. um, just trying to keep everything running. Uh, it was an incredible experience and we learned a ton and we made it through, uh, I would say, better than we thought we might have uh for how much growth we saw so quickly but Mm -hmm. it was a tough time yeah uh but but you know from that we're going to take all those lessons we learned last year into this year and we're going to come back so much stronger and so much more prepared which is what i'm so excited about for 2024 definitely it's interesting actually and i was kind of shocked to hear you say that it was terrible right to get um a ranking of the best ice cream in, in the nation, especially being such a small store. Again, I will mention making ice cream on a stovetop still, yep. right? Like not actually having a facility yet. Um, like it's an amazing achievement. And as you said, we would expect a founder to, or, a, or a business owner of a business like that to say, it was amazing. I loved it. Which I think it was amazing. And most people right. will say that in a public setting like this, but yep. because we're trying to show what it's really like right. behind the scenes. I feel that I really need to be honest there because it was incredible and we made more money and mm-hmm. we had more uh, traction and we saw so many more people than ever before, but it's hard. I mean, growth no. is a beautiful thing for a business, but it's very hard to manage uh, 
you know, on the inside. Right. Like it was, it was great from a business standpoint in terms of revenue stream, right? But from the personal perspective, it was obviously very hard. I'm curious if you can tell us more about what was going, and I don't know if you can put yourself back in those shoes um, to that time, but every single day you go into the store, eight and a half hours of scooping ice cream, going home, what's going through your head at the time? Yeah. What is the actual feelings and emotions you have during that period? I, I mean, it was just exhaustion, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no problem sleeping because I was so tired every night, uh, which, <laughs> which helped because sleep is very important. Uh, but basically, I would wake up at like 7 a.m. every day. The shop opens at 12. I would wake up. I would lay there. I would uh, check my email, and then I would... I would quickly do some quick math. I'd say, okay, 12 o'clock is when we open. 11 o'clock is when I have to get there to start baking fresh cookies and making cones. Now, because we're so busy and we're selling 200, 250 hand-rolled cones a day, I actually have to get there at 9.30 or 10 to start making cones. Then, okay, it's going to take me an hour to go to the dairy farm and get all the milk and I have to respond to these three emails. So, okay, I woke up at seven, it's seven ten. I'm already behind, gotta get up. Mm. And basically I would get up and just go all day. The shop closes at 8.30, but we do a very deep clean at the end of every day. So if it was really busy, I'm not out till nine, 9.30. A lot of those days, especially in the beginning, I actually wasn't on the schedule to be working because I had to be running around and getting all of our ingredients and doing all the behind the scenes things that keep the business operating. So I would not be on the schedule. We would be well staffed. I'd have four people on a weekday, which was double what we would normally have on a weekday. I think, okay, I'm good to go. I'm finally going to be able to sit at home for a few hours on my computer and get all this work done. I go to the shop. We're just slammed from the start. I can't leave. I have to like literally do dishes for five hours so that my staff can uh, just operate the business. So that was kind of a day, like a day in the life. Uh, I remember after a few weeks, there was one day where I was able to drive to Rochester to go to Restaurant Depot. And I remember I like couldn't have felt more happy to just be in the car for two and a half hours alone listening to a podcast, going to get those ingredients and not in the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that, those are, those are some of the things I remember about the season and just like, just questioning how much torque my wrist and my forearm could take scooping that much ice cream for all that time. Uh, yeah, it was hard, but it was awesome. It was totally worth it. Yeah. We're approaching the season uh, for Spotty Duck. You're, you'll be opening quite soon. What are you, what are you expecting? Do you want it to be the same as as busy? I mean, it sounds like there's kind of this duality of like it's great for the business, it's great to see people love it so much, but then obviously it's got a very much a personal toll on you. Um, and then would you take it back? Would you have it be different than it was last season? What do you wish it was? No, I'm I'm glad that we. I mean, it's a dream, of course, to be voted right. number one in the country for anything. So right. I I would not take that back. Uh, the tough times were tough, but we made it through, and it made our entire team so much stronger. I wouldn't take that back. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, it was hard. It was three or four months of very difficult time. It's not forever. 
uh, like I said, we got we made so many changes internally and got so much stronger as a team that uh, it was totally worth going through that adversity. Um, I would say I do want to see it be as busy this year because we'll be more prepared for it. From the customer perspective, it's an amazing thing to have a line an hour long around the building. From a customer perspective, it stinks to wait an hour right. for ice cream. Uh, so I would like to see the line be a little shorter, not for us, but for our customers. Because I hate, there's, there's really, we can only scoop ice cream so quickly. So we will be more efficient this year because of the changes in our processes. But um, we can just only go so fast. So right. uh, I think, yeah, I think if the weekdays, like basically what used to be the busiest Saturday last year became Monday, mm -hmm. Tuesday, Thursday. So there was no reprieve for the team. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to see the weekend still be really slammed. I wouldn't mind seeing the weekdays be a little bit more manageable just for our team. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if the, because you know, there's the TikTok, Facebook, YouTube algorithm, which we were all up in the algorithm last summer. Nice. But this year when, the, when those videos are a year old, I wonder if we'll still see uh, that same level of traffic as we did last year, but we'll be much better prepared for it. Definitely. Going into this year. What are you most excited about? What does the future look like for you? And what, what do you hope for? I'm really excited to get the ice cream out further than just Penyan. So okay. we're not there yet, but this season we should have the ability to start wholesaling our ice cream. So uh, that will expand our reach greatly. And then also uh, in the coming years with the introduction of shipping our pints with dry ice, then we can get, you know, we can get our ice cream into the hands of a lot more people than just the people who come to the Finger Lakes uh, in the summer. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that uh, for us, but also just to like continue to further promote the Finger Lakes because, you know, we're, we're known probably first as a wine region in terms of food and beverage. Uh, and the wine has helped put the Finger Lakes on the map as a, you know, a representation of the agriculture and uh, the terroir of the Finger Lakes in the form of wine. Uh, we see basically our ice cream as the same thing. So when people try our ice cream, it's a representation of the, the berries, the milk, the cream, uh, the herbs, all of which is grown and produced in the Finger Lakes. And I get really excited about uh, people are realizing like how awesome it is here because not being from here mm -hmm. and discovering it when I came to HWS and really falling in love with it after now that I live here I think it's such an awesome place and I think there's so much room for uh, more people to come and experience the Finger Lakes and I'm excited that uh, Spotted Duck can play a little bit of a role in in the promotion of that definitely um, I want to talk about imposter syndrome so you were a sociology student at Hobart um, I'm assuming no plans to be a businessman when you first came to the college. I actually did. I, I okay. always knew I wanted to start a business, but I didn't know. You didn't what. know where. Yeah, or, my right. dad is a video editor who always had his little video editing mm -hmm. uh, business. Um, so I grew up like with entrepreneurship in my family. Okay. Uh, yeah, I always knew I wanted to do business, but I didn't know what. So I came in econ, 
terrible at math. Uh, that makes both of I'm us good at business math, like math. addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, right. which is really all you need to know. Uh, but I couldn't do more than that. So no. I basically dropped my econ major just because the math was too difficult for me. And then I took a class with Jack Harris, and that's how I got into sociology. Amazing. So again, back to the imposter syndrome thing. So you went on Pizza Postal, Spotted Duck, being ranked the best in the nation for ice cream. Did you ever feel like, we didn't deserve this or I shouldn't be where I am right now. Did you ever have a, a feeling of imposter syndrome throughout throughout that career journey? Yeah, all the time. I yeah. mean, I could sit here right now and tell you I, I uh, our ice cream is incredible, but I personally think that there's a lot of room for our ice cream to even still improve mm-hmm. um, with better equipment and mm-hmm. uh, better processes and things like that, uh, which we're investing in now. So I, I can't wait to see what that ice cream is going to be like. Uh, but yeah, even, even when we got named number one in the country, I, I was like us, like in how, in, in our little shop in the Finger Lakes, like there's my first thought was like, you know, there's gotta be better ice cream shops in this country. That's crazy that, that we were voted number one. Uh, but you know, in talking to so many people, there's a lot of people that love ice cream and travel for ice cream. And, and a lot of them confirm what uh, Cohen Thompson said is us being number one in the country and people saying it's the best ice cream that they've ever had. So um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard to just have that confidence. And I, and I do think I am fortunate to have a lot of confidence in myself. But even still, I question all the time, like, am I, you know, Spotted Duck is this amazing brand and has this incredible ice cream and has a lot of potential to grow. Mm-hmm. I question sometimes whether I'm the guy to do it, you know? Uh, I've gotten us this far, and I think I just have to keep reminding myself of that, but imposter syndrome is very real and very normal, uh, and I think it helps to have a good support system around you to remind you that uh, you're actually doing the work and you are potentially the reason why these things have happened in your business and mm-hmm. to not forget about that yeah I, I recently heard Stephen Bartlett who is a um a famous entrepreneur he's based in London and has a has a very popular podcast I recently heard him say that um he loves that he's challenged and he thinks that everyone should have a healthy relationship with challenge and should constantly pursue imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and I thought that was interesting and I think it's something I've realized in my own life is that like Imposter syndrome is almost necessary for growth because if I'm not experiencing imposter, sy- imposter syndrome, I'm probably in my comfort zone. Exactly. Um, and I can't really grow in that space. However, on the flip side, imposter syndrome can become quite debilitating. So I'm curious about how do you manage it in situations where you do re- think, I'm not the person to lead this business. I don't know if I'm the right person to get us further than yeah. where we are now. What is it that you do or who is it that you speak to to help you get, get you through those moments and realize that, in fact, like just keep going and yeah. we've got this? I mean, I think that there's, well, one, one mentor that I always think back on what he said was, uh, his name is Jet Meta. He mm-hmm. owns Kindred Fair and the two hotels that are uh, on the same plot and a, a lot of hotels in this area and, and food businesses. And he helped me with my pitch when I was a senior and he said, uh, you know, the thing about business is it gets harder every year. Uh, a little bit easier in some ways, but generally a little harder every year. The people that are successful are the ones that keep going. So 
um, rolling with the punches, thinking, you know, while I may have this really huge problem in front of me, there is a solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, you will get through it. You just got to work through it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of what, what I go back to. Amazing. You're a triplet. Um, what is that like? What was that like growing up? I'm sure a nightmare for your parents, but, um, we were good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We, I mean, hats off to my parents. Like we, (laughs) you know, people say, Oh, three boys, you must've beat the crap out of each other. We, right physical physical fight like i I can think of two Mm. my whole life wow not even that physical truly very impressive so i mean it was amazing because i grew up uh with like a built-in group that i went everywhere with basically for the first 17 years of my life so uh i was always comfortable in new settings i would say because i knew i had my brothers there Mm -hmm. um i was never really alone uh it was like growing up in a little fraternity really um you know, you, as typical teenagers, we all, you know, had a lot of our fights and stuff, but at the end of the day, I knew anywhere I went, I had two brothers who had my back always, so, um, you know, as, as we've gotten older, we're all very close to each other, we all talk, like, pretty much every day, uh, and it's, I mean, I couldn't imagine growing up any other way. Amazing. Yeah, hats off to your parents because I I grew up with three older brothers and an older sister and I could say there was much more than two fights <laughs> growing up. There was yeah. uh, a lot, maybe it's two every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it seems like you've got a great support system there. What did they think when you said, you know, I'm taking a leap of faith here, I'm going into business full time, I'm going to start Pizza Post, I'm taking that risk? Yeah, they were very supportive. Yeah. Super, super supportive. I mean, again, we all grew up with our dad running his business, so mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, as foreign as it could be maybe to other families. But they were nothing but supportive, and they were very proud to wear their Pizza Posto shirts around Boston and where one of them was in New York City, where the other one was. Yeah, definitely. Um, that support stretched beyond your family. I saw a post again, which again, I'll include the photo uh, for you guys of um, the people at Chegg. I know you done an internship there during your time as a student at Hobart. I done an internship there this past summer. Um, amazing people over at Chegg. But there's a photo of your team um, in Santa Clara all wearing pizza postal shirts with a large pizza like teddy soft stuff toy mm-hmm. uh i'm curious about you know what was that process like taking that internship with Chegg? did you work with them on pizza postal did they support you through that process and then you know what was that support afterwards like from them yeah so my my internship with Chegg was the summer leading into my senior year mm-hmm. i knew i wanted to pursue the pizza business but i didn't really have a plan or, or anything like that and uh, one thing I learned at Chegg was about investing in your team, not just in ways that help your business, but help them personally. So everyone on my team, including my manager, Heather, who's now the chief uh, communications officer at Chegg, they all knew that I was going to be pursuing this pizza business. My team happened to be full of foodies. Uh, and so everyone was super encouraging of of me and pursuing pizza and to the to the point where like we would go to different pizza places uh, in the Bay Area and they, you know, I didn't know any mm-hmm. of those or so they would show me around and uh, I talk, got to talk to a bunch of people at Chegg about pizza and I always credit Heather, who's uh, who was my manager with, you know, like it, it would have been possible for me to 
spend that summer really focused on chug and potentially lose the fire on pizza, Mm -hmm. no pun intended. Uh, But they really helped foster my, uh, my thoughts on what the pizza business could be. Uh, and I'm so grateful to them for that, uh, which is why I sent them all shirts and I'm still in touch with Heather, uh, semi-regularly, especially because she's from Geneva, New York, and she would always tell me that I could make great pizza, but it would never, uh, be as good as Cam's, <laughs> which I don't know about that. <laughs> Cam's has good pizza, to be it fair, but pizza. pizza Postal, they've got great pizza too. Um, amazing. So it sounds like a lot of mentorship, right? And I'm curious about if you can speak to that support you got externally, because I think, and it seems like you had a lot of support from your family, which is amazing, but obviously a lot of people don't have that same that same um, opportunity. Uh, I know for people like myself, right, I have a family who never really had careers and were really just trying to keep food on the table. And so I never really had a role model who could help me into a professional career, a special entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you when it came to mentors? How helpful were people external from your family and helping you pursue business and helping you make these businesses successful? I mean, uh, I have a whole ton of people to thank for helping me get to where I am today. Uh, like I said, like Jet Meta, who, you know, one of the reasons why I got that job at Kindred Fair was I knew I wanted to start a food business in this area and I saw that these people were doing that at a high level and I mm-hmm. thought, okay, if I work hard for them, maybe maybe the owner of this business or someone at the top will help me. And generally speaking, what I found, especially when you're a student, uh, people are so willing to help. You just have to get over the fear of reaching out. Uh, it's really hard to send that email and you feel like you're gonna bother them or they're so busy uh, that they're never gonna have time to help you. But actually, even the busiest people it feels really good to to say, okay, I've, you know, all of them who are successful in business, they all got help and they all had mentors and everyone can think back to who those people are. So uh, the ones that reach out, I think you're very likely to get help from people uh, that you may be surprised are willing to help you. It's just about getting over the fear of sending that email. And when you have at hws.edu at the end of your email address, you're, you're, way more likely to get a reply uh, of someone being willing to help you than say, I am now without that email address because people want to help students, especially HWS alums, want to help HWS students like myself. I mean, anyone that reached out to me like you, I meet with you for coffee fairly often. And I say every time I speak in a class, if anyone wants to reach out, I'm always willing to help. Very few people do, Mm -hmm. but the ones that do, I'm always here to help them. Yeah, no, 100%. Sam has been a great mentor to me, um, as have many people who mentor you. And uh, yeah, it's true. At Hobart, especially, we have a great alumni community who is always willing to, but like you said, if they're and local. William Smith, and William Smith. And William Smith. HWS community. Um, we have a great, a great community of alumni who are willing to, like you said, if they're local, they'll meet up for a coffee, they'll jump on Zoom and really want to help you with anything. Um, but I found as well, even just reaching out and asking anyone, um, and if it's a Hobart or and William Smith alum who's referring you to someone else in their network, they're very open to doing that, and it is extremely helpful. Yeah. Sam, I want to finish up by mentioning Madison. Um, what has she been like for you? You're getting married now in September. Since she came into your life, what what has that added that you didn't have before? Oh, man. Um, 
a lot of love and support. Yeah. Uh, this is a great opportunity to get on her good side. Yeah, by right. The way. <laughs> if this ever airs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of love and support. Um, you know, much more than I could get from my parents because she's on the ground with me every day, right. seeing the struggles and the ups and downs. Um, also, like a reinvigoration for me, watching her grow her business from mm-hmm. the ground up. Uh, she she hadn't been in business before. Um, and then just, uh, like me feeding off of her determination to be successful. Like she has this incredible drive that she, I think takes from her, uh, background in professional dance. Like she, from, from 13 years old, she knew the one, the number one dance company in the world that she wanted to dance for and she would do anything to get there. And by 20, she was living in Israel, dancing for that exact company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she brings that same level of uh, drive and determination into business, and it's very inspiring for me. Mm-hmm. Times like after you were ranked number one ice cream in, in the nation and you ended up as busy as you were, as we were talking about earlier, what role did Madison play there? Was there, would you have... Would it have been as easy to get through that without that support, or no. was it necessary? No, I could not imagine <laughs> uh, getting through the summer without her. I mean, even just as simple as having some food right. for me when I got home at 9.30 at night, and I'd been working again, like since 7.15 in the morning nonstop just to not have to come home and like also then have to figure out food and cook a meal. I mean, that's just a super small example. Uh, she would, you know, She was up early helping us. Uh, you know, chop cookies for cookies and cream and uh, helping get ingredients from farms if I if I didn't have the time to leave the shop to go. So um, she was always willing to help as much as she could because she was also running her own business. Uh, and she did both. Uh, and I, I'm so much better for it. And I, I'm so grateful to have her. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Sam, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a great conversation. Hopefully just as enjoyable for you as it was for me. Um, But yeah, we wish you all the best. Obviously, Spotted Duck is opening. What date? Uh, I believe, uh, I think it's Friday, April 6th is the first uh, weekend in April, and that is when we will open for the season. Okay, so be sure to make it as busy as it was on a Monday (laughs) after you were ranked number one in the nation. Um, Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for jumping on again. Congratulations on the engagement. Thank you. Uh, And we appreciate it.